work of our hands. Sing that again. Oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Sing hallelujah with me. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Oh Lord, establish the work of our hands. Lord. Praise you, thank you. Lord, may that be true in us. May we, our work, we see the not, that it's not in vain, that you are doing wonders even beyond us. So uh, help us do the work for you, though, and help us to uh, honor you in our, our service. We thank you in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Would you join with me in prayer again? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and open your word. I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts up to you even as we open your word up to us. I pray that you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, before I go any further, I probably need to apologize to everybody in the adult Sunday school class because much of what you're going to... Deal with it, Sarah. Because much of what you're going to hear... We actually talked about a couple months ago in, in Sunday school class. But for those of us, the rest of us who weren't in that Sunday school class, hi, how you doing? Um, I want to continue what, we, what we've been doing, looking at recently is this, this Christian, for lack of a better term, jargon. The stuff that, that Christians tend to use in a church setting a lot of times that other people may not understand as well as Christians. Or that Christians might not actually but we use these terms anyway. We use all this jargon. And I, I, I think in terms of, of things like the, the phrase, be still. Um, apart from my grandmother, I've never heard that outside of a church setting. Uh, most You're not going to walk around in, in the junior high and hear kids going, oh, be still to each other. It's not a common, it's not a common phrase. But we use it all the time in church settings. We, we love be still. You know, be still and know that I am God. What, is, what does that actually mean? We all pretty much, I mean, if you can figure it out. You pretty much know what it means, right? It means, it means quiet yourself as, as you come into, especially like a, a worship situation. Um, if, I can, if I can make this work. Can, can we... 
Okay, here, I'm just going to ask them to, to advance it to that first slide. If the AV would advance it to... We have slides for your... to make it clear for you guys. Anyway, so, there we go. Be still. And we all know what that means. It's like, be quiet and quiet yourself as you come into this calm, worshipful place, right? I remember somebody telling me that uh, very soon after I got here, actually. We need to remind each other that... The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. We need to ask people to quiet themselves as they enter into the sanctuary and remind themselves of the presence of God and still their hearts. Which is a, a fine sentiment. It's, it's a fine sentiment. There's nothing wrong with it. The sentence is all wrong um, because that's not the house of God. This is not the house of God. Y'all are the house of God, right? The house of God is never the building. The house of God is the people, the congregation, the called out ecclesia, the church, is the house of God. But you can still have a sanctuary. I, I get the idea of a set-apart place. But saying that be still and know that I am God is about quieting your hearts as you enter a sanctuary, this calm place, and that's not what, that's, that's not what that verse is getting at at all. So I... I I thought maybe it would be good for us to stop and think about that term, be still. There are several places in Scripture where it's being used as a command. There are three key places in Scripture that I'd like to talk about, three specific words that are used in Scripture to talk about be still, where it's given as a command. If you could advance one. And in none of those three is it about quieting yourself as you enter into this calm and calming place. And if that's true, perhaps it is worth talking about because that's the way we tend to use the term be still. Okay, for instance, um, in Sunday school, we were looking at the book Ezra Nehemiah. It's actually originally one book. So you're looking at the book Ezra Nehemiah. And in that book, all the people of God had been in exile in Babylon for generations. And the priest Ezra, the new governor Nehemiah, finally bring the people back and not only restore the city of Jerusalem and its walls, but also restore the proper worship of God. Because after being in Babylon for a couple of generations, people had kind of forgotten what it meant to actually worship God right. In fact, they'd spent decades never even hearing the word of God. The same stuff that you and I tend to take for granted. You leave this thing on a, on a coffee table, it collects dust. Nope. It collects dust. They, nope. They, um, anyway, the, the, the same stuff that we tend to take for granted, they uh, had totally forgotten. They'd totally forgotten what it was like to really listen to God. So it took priests like Ezra to come and consciously, actively reacquaint them with the Bible, with the book of the law. In, ne in Nehemiah 8, verse 2, we're told that on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which is made up of all the men and women and all of those who are able to understand. This isn't just for the leaders. This isn't just for the men folk. This is for everybody. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, six straight hours, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law for six straight hours. So if this sermon goes a little long, 
keep it to yourself, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. They focused. But you know, seriously, think about that day. Think about what they were hearing. They haven't even, they, some of them didn't even realize they had a Bible, that they had the Word of God. And so now suddenly they get to listen to this whole thing. They get to hear Scripture, the words of God spoken to them, the words of God spoken to their forefathers, grandfathers, grandmothers. They get to hear it for the very first time. They get to hear about everything that God had planned for his people, every promise, every hardship, everything that they had screwed up, everything that, all the laws and rules that God said, this is important, never forget this. They're like, I didn't even know that was a thing. So Ezra praised the Lord. In fact, um, if, you're, if you happen to be reading along in, in, in Nehemiah, that word Lord is capital O, capital O, sorry, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which, as we've talked about, is actually a translation of the, of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, his proper name. This is, this is the writer of, of Nehemiah saying, I want to be clear that we're not just talking about a God or one of the Babylonian gods, it's Yahweh. So Ezra praised Yahweh, specifically, pointedly, the great God. And all the people lifted up their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. Not some divine ideal, not this concept of godness, not some Babylonian god, not a god that's even better than all those Babylonian gods, but the only god, their god, the real god, the true god. The Levites, were told, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read, which means that this technically wasn't a six-hour sermon. It was a six-hour Bible study, right? Very intensive. And then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is sacred, set apart, holy, to Yahweh, your God. Don't mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Why? Why were they crying? It could be just the profundity of it all. You know? Absolutely. But if you look at this contextually, it looks like they were crying in grief. They were brokenhearted as they were listening to this. They were hearing all the stuff that they'd lost. All the stuff they'd never heard before. I told you I, one time several years ago, I was up in Chicago at a, at a Polish deli, and I was talking to uh, the deli owner and his wife, and the subject came up about uh, the, about the Bible, about church, and we started chatting about things, and they, they'd spent their whole life in their church, and I was quoting Bible verses they'd never heard of, because they'd never read their Bible, they'd just only heard their priests sharing little bits and snippets and homilies, and they were concerned about their daughter with things, and I said, well, as you know, Paul said, and they're like, he said, what? And so I pulled out my Bible and showed them, and they were actually, well, the husband was getting rather, rather indignant, actually, but the wife was actually getting very weepy, going, how have I never heard this? I've spent my whole life in the, in, I thought, hearing the Bible, and I thought, understanding this, and I thought, in a, in a Bible-believing church, and I've never even heard the verses you're talking about. I can only imagine what it meant for them for generations to go through that and say, I've never even heard any of this. But then also to hear God saying, you will be held accountable to this. And they go, but I never even heard that. 
Whatever you do, don't do X. And they go, I do X all the time. I didn't even know I wasn't supposed to do X. Over and over again. They were brokenhearted. And yet, Nehemiah specifically said, go, enjoy choice food, sweet drinks. In fact, go send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. It's a holy day, so don't grieve. Because the joy of Yahweh is your strength. Don't don't grieve. This is a holy time. That's not a time for sobriety, somber, downcast looks. This is a holy time. This is a time of worship. So bounce off the walls. Smile. Laugh. It's a time for worship of a God who loves you. Don't get me wrong. There is a time for being somber in worship. But apparently there's a lot of time where it isn't. This is a time for enjoying this. The Levites also calmed all the people saying, be still, for this is a sacred day. Be still, because this is a holy time. Don't grieve. That's a third time in rapid succession. Ezra the priest, Nehemiah the governor, now the Levites are all going, no, no, seriously, enjoy this. And they use the term, be still. The word they use there is really interesting. Now you can go up here. The word they use here is really interesting in Nehemiah 8. It's not about silence. The word is hasha. And it is onomatopoetic. It means exactly the same thing with exactly the same connotation of our English word hush. Hush. It's a sweet parental way of saying it's okay. It's okay. Hush. Hush. Hush, children. It's all right. And they're crying and they're crying and they go, no, hush. No, hush. It's all right. You don't have to cry. Your father loves you. This is a holy day. You didn't even know you had a father. The only gods you ever heard of were the Babylonian Marduk and Tiamat. Yahweh is your father and he loves you. No matter how far you go, no matter what you do, doesn't mean he won't be angry with you. Sometimes, I don't know if you've noticed, dads can get angry. Doesn't mean you won't get in trouble. Doesn't mean God can't get angry with you, but he always does it out of love because your father loves you. So hush, hush. You might go, okay, you said there's three different words. That's just one of the words. Isn't that about be silent as you enter into the calm of the worship? You go, no, this is about you're crying because you're sad and you're, and you're upset and I'm telling you, hush, you're crying. But aren't there other commands that say, be still? Maybe those commands are about what you said this command isn't about. Because let's face it, sometimes life comes at you, doesn't it? Sometimes life gets in your face, jumps out at you, and you've got to go, no, 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 i gotta, got to remove myself from that. i got to go find a calm place. i got to go find a quiet place, and I need, to, I need to chill. I need to rest. And I need to find that calm place, and hopefully a sanctuary that everybody's gone and it's dark, and I come up to the front and I pray, and I can finally calm my spirit because I found a quiet place to worship God. Sometimes life is big. I think of that time in the Gospels, shown here. I think of that time in the Gospels 
when even Jesus needed to take a break, right? Things got big. And so in Mark chapter 4, you can turn there if you want, verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A lot of people, and I, I want to, I'm tired, and I, and, I, and I even need to physically take a break. Taking a step back to rest, that's perfectly good. To reboot your systems, absolutely. But what happens if you, really? Okay. What happens if you can't do that? What happens if you can't actually step away from the difficulties? We're told in the next verse, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Literally in the Greek, the boat was already filling up with water and in the process of sinking. So if you go, oh, literally uh, swamped. Yeah, no, it's filling up with water in this horrible squall. And so they were surrounded by scary stuff and surrounded by chaos and tumult and stress. Could they step away from that in order to find peace? You're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a storm and you're probably going to drown. Can you step away, go find a quiet chapel somewhere? Yes? No? No, I don't think so. Though Jesus seemed pretty chill. If you remember the story in the next verse, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Granted, he had, the whole thing was predicated by the fact that he was tired, but the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Which makes total sense, doesn't it? Because if you're wise, you'll be afraid of danger. Yes? Yeah. Lions are dangerous, right? So if you go to a zoo and you see a lion in a cage, you should be afraid. Yes? You should be afraid of danger if you're wise. Yes? And you guys really should stop and think before you answer my yes or no questions. Really, really. You should be afraid of any danger? You go, well, I mean, not if... Not if the danger is kept from us by something that's protecting us. You know. So should they have been afraid? You know. I mean, if you care about things, you're going to worry about things. Isn't that the way in point of practice we deal with it on a daily basis? If you care about something, you will stress over it. Haven't you ever looked at somebody going, you're not stressing, don't you care? And all of you go, no. So what did Jesus do? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Siopa, pevamoso. Apparently it's Italian. I don't know how to... <laughs> Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Oh, which means that that, that command to be still was not to the disciples. It was to the wind and the waves, right? And I love the wording here. Jesus rebuked the wind. Literally, chided it for being disrespectful. That's the word he uses here in the Greek. He goes, sits there and goes, who do you think you are, young man? Rebukes the wind. He doesn't just go, now I'm speaking. He goes, no, hey, what are you doing? The exact tone of voice I did, Buster, the other day, my dog, peed right in front of me. Just right in the middle of the house. Just peeing. I looked at him. 
what are you doing? He looked up at me and he goes, I don't know. He was very sleepy. It was the middle of the night, but he was just like, what are you doing? I'm reminded of verses in the Old Testament, like from Psalm 78, where we're told that Yahweh let loose the east wind from the heavens and led forth the south wind by his power. Or Amos 4, where we're told that he who forms the mountains creates the wind. Yahweh, God Almighty, is his name. Or in Jeremiah Jeremiah 10, where we're told that God makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. So Jesus says to the wind, what do you think you're doing? Who made you, wind? Who made you, waves? How dare you? Show some proper respect. And the words he uses when he says, quiet, or in some peace, be still, a very terse command. Literally, in its, in its original Greek, it says, shut up, muzzle it. And we go, peace, be still. He literally looks at the waves and goes, shut up. Put a cork in it. Because the word, it's to muzzle. Anyway, put a cork in it. It has nothing to do with us finding calm by going to a quiet chapel and praying. This be still has everything to do with he is absolute authority. Even over the wind, even over the waves. And about how maybe you and I should do a better job of trusting that on a daily basis, even when we're surrounded by not calm and not quiet. Because the very next verse, if you'll remember, the very next verse after he rebukes the waves and the wind, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Which means that technically, if you look at this this verse, Jesus felt compelled to rebuke the wind and the waves, to tell them to be still. And then looked at his own disciples, his own people, and said, why weren't you already still? I had to tell the wind and the waves, and the moment I do, it goes, and it becomes completely calm. Why were you anything but? He didn't even tell his disciples, peace, be still. He's just disappointed that they weren't. They're literally in the same boat as the creator of the wind and the storms. Why didn't they already hear God's voice saying, hush, children, it's okay, Dad's here. And it makes everything okay. It's okay, I'm here, I'm right here. That's what I say to my dog when he's having a bad dream. That's what I used to say to my children when they were having a nightmare. Be like, shh, it's okay, Dad's here, Dad's right here. It's okay. What the Levites said to the people who were crying. Why were the disciples afraid? I, I, I'm not trying to slam them, and I'm not trying to slam any of us here today any more than Jesus was that day. I'm just reminding us that Jesus himself considered it ridiculous for the people of God to be frightened and stressed when they should be faithful. Especially if I'm right here. I'm Literally right here. Help me out. Have you ever in your life spent a moment when Jesus wasn't 
literally right there in the boat with you? I've said it before, but maybe it bears repeating. Faithing and stressing are antithetical. You cannot faith and stress at the same moment. Can you? You can't faith and fear. You can't be afraid and be faithful at the same moment. Now, you can do one and then choose to do the other. You can say, I'll be faithful. Oh, no, I lost it. Thank you, Peter. Sink. Or you can be afraid and then choose to be faithful. A month ago, (laughs) 35 minutes into driving in Dublin, I ran across a curb and popped a tire. I'm like, this does not bode well for driving for a week in Ireland. By the way, don't do that ever. Um, the more I read about, the more I read about people driving in Ireland, the more I'm like, why did we do this? But um, 35 minutes into it, and I was I was stressed because I'm like, are there several days? We've got to keep driving. I didn't survive 35 minutes. So I prayed, and I sent an email to the elders, and I'm like, uh, could you be praying about this? I turned the car over to Wendy, who 25 minutes later hit a car. I'm like, no, please, no. We're not even like an hour into driving. So we sent another email and said, please pray. It makes sense to stress. I get it. But at that moment, you're not being faithful. But you can choose to be. You can pray, Lord, let me trust you. Lord, help me with this. I've been stressed and now I really want to be faithful. But you have to make a choice. You have to decide to trust. Because if you decide to trust and then you keep stressing, technically that's just you being distrustful. Me being distrustful. Us being distrustful. It's not, well, I'm trying to have faith. At the moment you're not. What was it that Jesus' little brother James said when people ask for provision from God? If someone asks for provision from God, wisdom say. James 1, he says, He must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Because I'm pretty sure James heard this story. Probably heard it from multiple people. He probably also heard about when Peter walked on that very same sea in Matthew 14. But then Peter saw the waves and focused more on the waves than on his faith. Because you can't do both and start to sink. Understand, this is not a prosperity doctrine. I'm not talking about, ask for a Maserati and know that you're going to get it. I was like, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a faith thing where you believe that God can do a thing so you don't fear that he can't. He may choose not to, but the fear is gone because if God chooses not to, okay, he's God. But I can trust his wisdom. So two out of the three be still commands that we talked about are are not about being silent as you find a quiet place as much as they are about hushing and knowing that your dad is with you, trusting that. But if that's true... If we shouldn't just freak out when life comes at you because we know that God is with you, how do you actually do that? I mean, 
The first one is just, you know, hush, hush. Second one is, why, why were you scared? So this third one, maybe let's talk about how you actually go about doing that. Now we can go back to Psalm 40, 46 that we quoted earlier in the service, the one that everybody likes to be still and know that I am God. Maybe we can pick up some, some details, just a smidgy bit there, to figure out how this actually works. And, and before I even go there, logic with me for a moment. What are the odds that if we go to Psalm 46, it's going to be about quieting yourself by finding a nice calm chapel somewhere? Probably not. How's the psalm start out? If you want to, turn with me to Psalm 46. Pardon me? Yes, thank you. Uh, how does the psalm start out? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. I'm sorry, when is he an ever-present help? In, in trouble, right? When you are in trouble, can you trust God's strength and, and help and find refuge within troubles, within the storm, within the hardship? First, first verse of Psalm 46 suggests, yeah, I mean, even when you're in the midst of the storm, you go, oh, God is our ever-present help after we extricate ourselves from trouble. No, it's not the way that works. When we're in it, therefore, the psalmist says, because we know that about our Father, because we know that he is an ever-present help, we know that he's our refuge, we know that he's our strength, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, even when we're in the midst of the storm, even when we are surrounded by this, when mountains are crumbling, when nations are crumbling, when everything's falling apart and we're engulfed, we're seemingly lost in all of this tumult, even when your boat is flooded and you're afraid it's going to sink, the psalmist says, yeah, we don't have to have fear. In fact, we won't fear because we already knew about our Father that God is our refuge and our strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Why would I be afraid of the lion in the zoo when the bars are between us and him? He's just as dangerous, but I am not in danger. Again, I'm not saying that nothing bad will ever happen to you. Not my point. This isn't a name it and claim it thing or the assumption that God will automatically always give you everything you're wanting. Not what I'm getting at. God doesn't work for you. <laughs> He's not like your, your servant. This is about us trusting in God's authority. Going, wait a minute, I know he's the one who created the lion. He's the one who created the wind. He's the one who created the waves. He's the one who created all this. But not just his authority over them. It's about trusting his authority over you and your life. Not just that you have to trust, you have to trust that God can heal your cancer, can heal your leukemia, can heal your broken ribs. Genuinely trusting that. That we might pray over you and God might miraculously heal you. I've seen it. That even if he doesn't save you from the fiery furnace, he's still God. The disciples had sung this psalm 
repeatedly their whole lives. They'd heard this all the time. Even though the waters roar and foam, even though you're, 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 you're struggling in the heart of the sea, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. They had sung this. They'd heard it sung over and over and over again. You probably have heard this psalm multiple times in your life. But when the rubber hits the road, when you're actually out on the actual sea, the Bible doesn't actually work. Right? Okay, good. No, yeah, no, it does. Yes, okay, good. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes, practically speaking, we're like, forget and we get afraid of storms we get afraid of popped tires we get afraid of mountains churning into the sea we get afraid of nations crumbling we forget to remember that jesus may know what he's talking about and that it makes no sense to trust god sitting in a pew and then not trust him sitting in a boat does it does that make sense again Again, I'm not saying that everything always happens the way we want. I'm saying that we need to trust that God knows what he's doing and that he has that authority. The psalm continues. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. You're absolutely in the midst of the worst kinds of storms. But God lifts his voice and the earth melts because your father has authority. The Lord Almighty is with us. And it's again, it's that capital L, capital O, capital O. So I need to say... Yahweh Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The psalmist is like, let me clarify exactly which God I'm talking about. This is our God. This is the God. This is the only God that is. Even as the waters roar in form, even as as nations are in uproar. I'm sorry, is that applicable to us today? Can you picture that as we head into the 4th of July? I don't know, I've heard people going, I don't know, I just, I'm afraid for our country. Go, really? Do you trust God in the pew? Trust him in the polls. Come and see the works of Yahweh, the psalmist says. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He allows wars when he allows them, and when he chooses, he snaps all these great weapons like dry twigs and kindling. And this is why God then says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still, even in the midst of chaos and grief and storms and wars and uproar. Be still, even when there is no calm. Be still. And again, the word that the Bible uses here for be still is very telling about how we should actually go about reacting to this. The word that's used here is rafa. Rafa, meaning go slack go limp and go no 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 it's be still and know that i am god he means be quiet and understand my presence when you're in the house of the lord no he says the world is in uproar and you tense yourself like a coiled spring ready for action he's like no go slack go limp one of the first things they taught us uh, in boxing was how to roll with a punch 
Because the dumbest thing you can do is like square off and tense up when a punch is coming. Well, ideally, you'd like to block it. But the worst thing you can do is square up and like, oh, I'm just going to tense. You go, that's how you break a jaw or break a nose or lose a tooth. But if you can relax your muscles, be water. Get punched and roll with it. And then it just glances off. I'm not saying that you should shrug, that you shouldn't care. You should say, whatever. And if that's where your brain might go, then you're still buying into the idea of, if you care, then you'll be stressed. What I'm saying is, is a perfectly legitimate, relatively literal, yet totally relatable translation of be still and know that I am God is to say, relax, remember that I've got this. I mean, I am God. But I can't relax, this matters. You have to relax because it matters. Relax. You'll avoid hurting yourself more if you roll when you fall. You'll be easiest to catch if you go limp. Tense muscles are for preparing for action. Relaxed muscles are, well, they're for other people's actions, aren't they? I can be relaxed because somebody else is acting. But I want I have to do this. You should be involved. But isn't it ultimately God who's the actor? Isn't it? I mean, one can sow, one can water. But it's God that makes the increase, right? So every morning, the farmer gets up and looks at his fields and goes, trying to make them grow, right? Because that works, doesn't it? Good morning to all those of you who just woke up. If you're at the end of your rope, let go. should have never been clinging to it that hard. White knuckled. Your God is literally right beneath you as your father going, no, no, let go, I got you. Ah! No, I mean, seriously, I got you. Ah! Please? We stress and we strain, hanging there three feet above salvation. Because, like Peter focused on the waves, we tend to focus on the chasm and on the rope and on our knuckles and on the fact that our muscles are beginning to shake and I don't know if I can hold on much longer. Good, don't. I've got you. Seriously, fall. We miss God, the dad who loves us, standing on solid ground right beneath us. Because, again, what is that next verse, the last verse of the psalm? Repeat. That last verse says, Yahweh Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Oh, okay. So all three of these, all three of these saying, be still, go limp, trust your father, hush your worries, child. It's okay. Your dad is on top of things, even in the midst of the storm. There are a couple other places in Scripture that say, be still. They pretty much follow one of these, one way or another. Even the ones that are talking about being silent, it's like, no, stop complaining. Trust God. (laughs) I'm not saying everything's going to be easy. I'm just saying that God's holiness should yield joy, not brokenness. God's authority should yield peace, not fear. So be still. 
God's power should yield to trust and calm, not tension and stress. It doesn't work like that. When my kids were little, I took them out in the middle of the biggest thunderstorm that we had, and I wanted them to stand on the porch and see the lightning flash across the sky and hear the thunder that rattled our walls. I wanted them to stand out under the porch in it and see it. Because my brother was always afraid of thunderstorms when he was a kid. Even to this day, he never goes to the fireworks on 4th of July because he's afraid of thunder. He's a grown man, but it's still built into his DNA. So when my kids were little, I took them out on the porch, and the lightning's flashing and the thunder's rattling. And I said, I want you to look at that. Look at that sky. Listen to this thunder. Feel it. Like, ah, and the rain is coming down. I'm like, your God made that. He is so much bigger than that. The biggest, scariest thing I can show you, and this is nothing. God sculpted that. He sketched it. And he is in control of it. He is the God of storms. So whenever you run into something in life that seems so big and so scary, remember this and say, yeah, my God is so much bigger than this. Be still. Amen? Would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for the opportunity to to be here, not just here in this place, but to be here in this relationship with you, to be here filled with your spirit, to be here, and to be one of your children. Thank you for being a father that we can trust. In Jesus' name, amen.